March 6, 2006, in your home, at work, and around the world, broadcasting without borders, this is Eye on the Future Radio with Hepsiboah. Visit Eye on the Future's website at www.ionthefutureradio.com. To learn more about Hepsiboah and to read her extensive prophecies, visit www. Dot .saoshant.org that's www.saoshyant.org the topic for tonight's show disclosures that will rock your boat a special just for ostriches and those wanting to be in the know returning tonight Hepsiboa's very special guest Alan Watt researcher and author Visit Alan's website at www.cuttingthroughthematrix.com. <laughs> and, uh, of course, uh, well, Alan, I have to share something with you. And it's so nice that you are here and that you are giving these uh, wonderful people, the ostriches, of course, maybe, shall we say, a slap in the feathers. Maybe they pull their heads out of the sand. Yeah, well, I went out and uh, went to one of the very large uh, supermarkets where I know one of the uh, sorry, assistant managers, floor manager, whatever. And he said, hey, uh, Brian, I want to talk to you for a minute. Mm-hmm. Okay. He says, let's get out of the wind. That's okay. So he said, um, how are you doing? I said, well, still doing the same. And uh, I said, I want to ask you, I said, then, uh, you know, you see from this side to that side of the store, I said, since that is the only entrance for the public to get into this store, I said, very soon I think you will install some equipment here, most likely sort of, uh, shall we say, to track the uh, little ducks that come by groceries here. I said, um, you know, little card with uh, all their ID from fingerprints to voice and whatever. And I said, oh, would Alan ever love that? He had a terrific jolt, manata jolt, as if he hadn't known it. He looked a little bewildered, and uh, he says, well, there's nothing I can do about it. I only uh, control what's on the shelves between these four walls. There you are. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, they've all got their answer when it comes to their paycheck. And, and that's the, the problem with the system. It's, it's all based on money. Everyone's dependent on the system because they've given no one an, an alternative. And, uh, and that's why they can rationalize it to themselves. Um, I'm just doing my job. How many times has that been said down through history? I'm just doing my job. Yes, but well. you know when uh, when we know out the, and out the uh, agenda that's that there, but not many people are as informed as you are of the at the time that they actually are going to say now enough enough already, and then uh, our friends who. Uh, uh, out there and who had children in school, which he took out the school system, and uh, other people who still have their children in the school system. How dangerous is it for these people to maintain their children in school? Uh, it's, um, it's uh, well, I think one of their main experts, of course, that uh, experimented with experimental schools back in 
in the early 1900s was, was uh, Lord Bertrand Russell. And what and he, he spoke on behalf of the elite. And here's where communism and fascism come together as one, because it is one. Um, Lord Bertrand Russell, uh, who was related to the British royalty and so on, um, he said, we had always thought we'd have to remove the children completely from their mother at birth and, and have the state bring them up in order to change the system into the new society, as they termed it then. He said that with experimentation, if we can have the child from kindergarten, uh, from the age of two, through scientifically induced indoctrination, he said the parents' input on morality or, or old-fashioned ideas will be null and void on the child. In other words, it would be more, more economically feasible to keep the parents uh, uh, paying for the child, bringing them up, but the scientific indoctrination they would get at a very young age, uh, then the, the, the child's mind would belong to the state. When you say you know, this... Like in 1920, yeah. Yeah, but when you say this, and we know also some, uh, some interesting being who tried this out in the Soviet Union, right? That's right. Mm -hmm. And the end result was that in the Soviet Union, the people rebelled and the people went and said these state-run stores, they went in and shoplifted like there was no tomorrow. They yeah. didn't want to work the fields. They didn't want to do anything that had no adventure for people left in it. That's right. And that's what was the downfall, really, of the Soviet system. They knew there were slaves, in a sense, and that the state was a, a, a farce. Uh, whereas in the West, they kept telling us, well, we're free, and they believed it. And that you can make it one day if you just chase that carrot, uh, you know, called making it. And um, so we didn't know we were, we were slaves, a better type of slave. And, and therefore, their indoctrination worked much better. If you, if you, when you know you're a slave, you don't put your heart into anything you do. And, and that was the difference. Now, when we, when we look at what is going to happen, because you could see this fellow knew that it is in, in, on the way, and these conglomerates are, what do you call that, uh, renovating their, uh, their stores. And we say, these people, it looks like a Soviet communist conspiracy, this store. And they sort yeah. of look at you. But, what is it that we can give these people, like we also know, as you know, what you know, like the uh, the First Nations people who were way, way up north who have gone missing and there was not a trace, not one trace, and these were people that fished that water, you know, from generation to generation and they, 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 they raised their children there and there's not a trace of boat or anything. So they must have seen something pretty important for them to have taken them and to disappear. But at the same time, isn't it so, Ellen, that there are First Nations people that know that there are uh, entrances into the earth, like here in Nelson, British Columbia, outside of Nelson in the forest, there is um, the amazement. There is a, a great big two-lane highway that come out of the ground, coming out of nowhere. But the people that are up that highway 
no one understands them. Yes, I know, and it, the same was up, up in North Ontario. The same thing happened with um, with, with some Indian hunters who uh, they chased something into a, a clump of bush, and they found a, an air vent coming up, something like the ship's air vent with the, the sort of a, a sort of um, um, walking stick shape. And uh, they found a manhole cover and opened it and looked in, and there was two uh, uh, set of railroad tracks underneath there. And uh, then, then they noticed the um, uh, cameras, so they, they got out pretty quickly. Uh, so these, these underground uh, um, railroads, basically, are who knows how, how many of them there are. I think they're probably of all the major cities interlinked, really. I know that the Rand Corporation have been, uh, even in popular science a few years ago, they showed you one of these machines they look just like the one uh, from from Journey to the Center of the Earth uh, back in the 1920s. Um, a huge machine which can can go five miles per hour through any kind of rock, uh, 24 hours a, a day, and it, it creates such heat and friction. It literally melts the rock around it, and then the met petrifies. The rock petrifies behind it, leaving a, a smooth, uh, hardened tunnel surface. And they've had these uh, these machines for many years, and they are working uh, full time. But the Rand Corporation apparently um, is such a top secret project. But also, we know that this is not the first time that the so-called powers that be have gone underground because there are these types of tunnels and underground. Huh. They say literally palace-type uh, res- residences under the ground in Brazil. We know that they are uh, in, in uh, Turkey, that you can, uh, uh, underground, underground cities and things like that. So the people have memories of the previous nuclear type of setup and attacks where people did hide out or where people did go, and at the same time the powers that be you know, like under London, England, right? And under Paris. Under New York, too. Well, under New York, too? I guess I got some old newspaper clippings when they were putting in uh, uh, some of the subways, the early subways, and um, they came across the, this incredible labyrinth of tunnels underneath New York City. And uh, I've got some of the original newspaper clippings from them. So mm. so this is... This is it's quite a surprising old planet, this, you know, once you get into it. And uh, these are official uh, newspapers at the time. Yeah, and then, of course, we know this whole uh, uh, setup in Colorado, and, and uh, uh, actually from Colorado to, uh, uh, to the White House, so it was across from the White House, apparently, not too far from there, there is a very large hotel with dining room and so forth. And uh, some reporter told me a long time ago, by accident, ended up in the wrong elevator. Uh-huh. And this elevator took him underground. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yes, this is an old, old trick. In fact, it was the historian, the Greek historian Herodotus, uh, right around uh, 350 years B.C., who was in Egypt, and he talked about the, uh, he wrote about it, how the Egyptians gave him a partial tour 
of, of the underground tunnels underneath Egypt, and he said they went on for miles, you know. So this is an ancient dodge, and that's why, of course, uh, they could also bring armies up behind uh, invaders, uh, and they appeared out of nowhere, and of course they were popping up from the ground, uh, and so these dodges have been going on for such a long, long time, it's just uh, incredible. You know, even all the mining diseases that we know of today, like asbestosis, uh, those terms were used by the Egyptians and the Romans. Yeah. Uh, so they knew all the diseases. So mining is an incredibly old, old uh, industry. Yeah. Very old industry. Now, Alan, um, but what is it that we we need to sort of... Because I think if we keep on uh, ringing the bell... And sometimes, and I know you do a lot of ringing of the bells everywhere else, and we do a lot of ringing that bell, and yet at the same time, don't you have the feeling that these people don't know, don't want to know, or that they have their heads in the sand? Yes. Oh, yes. Many of them choose not to know, and that's the socialist mentality, a trained socialist mindset of perpetual childhood, which they said to do. They said to bring in a world where the, the people would be trained to believe they were run by experts. And that's happened. Most people can't think without an expert's opinion. And, uh, in fact, even bring them on the weather stations, you know, the news channels and weather stations, experts on whatever, changing a baby's diaper, you name it. Um, so, so that's the end product of socialism. Uh, socialism is perpetual childhood. Where you, you do accept, uh, as a matter of course, that, that, that you have these expert betters. They call them in England, mind your place and know your betters. Um, these betters are, are, are running uh, your affairs for you because you're just too dumb and stupid and inefficient to do it yourself. <laughs> and, and so basically, that, that's what we have today. Uh, people truly believe that, that they're being run efficiently, and, and it's, it's mainly illusion, of course. But that has happened. So some choose not to, to know. Um, the New Age has been a big factor in this because yeah. the New Age movement uh, was they depended upon the New Age movement since they created it. Yeah, Helena Blavatsky. Yeah, and, and that's what they did. They, they had all these uh, gurus going around to getting courses and seminars and writing books with un, you know, limitless funding for these books. And... Um, of telling people, don't don't hang around negative people, hang around positive people. <laughs> people only say nice things and happy things. Don't worry, be happy. And, and of course, <laughs> that's what you have. They're, they're trained to be egocentric and to shy away uh, from anything negative, which is making them feel bad, and anything to do with their safety, and, and it's against their safety, makes them feel bad. Yeah, and don't but, tell them to do it. Yeah, just live in a little bubble. And, and and you'll be fine, nothing will touch you. Well, you see, that's uh, what, they, what they said to do. They would remove that part of the brain that gave you your self-defense uh, mechanisms, your self-preservation mechanisms, mm -hmm. because to have them working properly, you must, have the, uh, you must be a sentient, aware being uh, in order to survive. Mm -hmm. People uh, literally are taught not to look at anything nasty. Yeah, when you oh, when, oh, when you yes. say when you say that, and we are are really really in the saddest state, I think of the uh, of the last two thousand years. I think this is a 
horrendous condition that uh, the world has been artificially pushed towards and pushed into. And yep. some of these people, and, and you know, when you talk to them, and they say, oh, but socialism is no good. And I said, communism is what you nearly have. Mm -hmm. yep. No, we don't. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. The amazing thing is, when you look at the official policies of, of uh, the Royal Institute of International Affairs, which is a chartered corporation by the British, they're a front for the British Crown, in other words. And uh, the Council of Foreign Relations, which is the American branch, when you look at their policies, when you, when you compare their policies with those of communism, with those of Albert Pike, of, of Freemasonry, for uh -huh. the Freemasonic doctrine, they're all, and the Illuminati one, of Whitehop, they're identical. Now, they're when identical. you say this, Alan, when you say this, we need to go to a place where we have to look because many of the people out there, they think you go to the, one of those Masonic lodges and, uh, you know, it goes to the 12th degree and uh, mm -hmm. some of these people. And, you know, which I found very peculiar because they were there much longer than, than three or four degrees and they said, but I am of the third degree. And I said, well, wait a minute. Is it the third, the 33rd degree, or the 360? Yeah, I know. No, they, they don't know. They, they don't know. Masonry, and the reason for the degree system, is a need-to-know basis. And uh, the, the guy above them cannot tell the one below even what his further rights were in, in the higher degree. So every, every degree is secret from the one below. And it, what it does is it, it weeds out the ones that they need, really. It leaves the weeds behind at the bottom. And, if, and primarily, if you, if you were a small newspaper man, for instance, in a little town, uh, they would they would pick you out into the side degrees. You go to the Black Lodge, and uh, your fellows in the Blue Lodge wouldn't know you were even going there, and you would shoot up much higher because you have influence over public opinion. You, you could be useful, but if you're just a Joe Blow, uh, you, you can stay in the Blue Lodge forever, as most of them do, in the third degree. So it's a need-to-know basis. And, and uh, when you go up into the mid-degrees, up into the 40th degree, because life begins at 40, that's, <laughs> that's when you start to get told the truth. That's a fact, yeah. Oh. And that's also the reason why... Hasidic Jews cannot read the Kabbalah until they're 40 years of age. It's all connected. Uh, it's the mystery religion behind all the religions. And um, so life always begins at the 40th degree, you see. And that's when they begin to... Look, we know it, we told you all this stuff, but that's rubbish. Now, here's the real dope, you know. And, and they start to tell them what the real function is. So the process is they go up is to find out who's still stuck in their in their their, their, their societal cultural religion, <clears throat> and those who can come up and leave the religion behind them are then coaxed into a form of atheism, and then as they go up through the degrees and they're still atheistic and they prove they're atheistic, then they actually get brainwashed into the real religion. That's how it works. So they deprogram from them from the old religion turn them into atheists who are good little hard-working characters 
and then they bring them up into the real religion, and, and that's how, how Freemasonry really works. Yeah. How many people would be aware of that? Most only those those who are really up in the higher degrees, or those who have done intensive study into into Freemasonry. Yeah. Do you believe in shapeshifters? Uh, shapeshifters. Uh, I've seen people change in a sense. I've seen some high masons change in front of me. Um, it's more like a superimposed mm -hmm. uh, light over them, really, like like a sort of a, uh, more more of a light shape that comes over them. It's not a physical type of, mm -hmm. of, of uh, shape that change itself. And and the the one who actually changed in front of me had told me that in the higher degrees which he'd been in. Um, he, he brought an entity into him that was standard at a very high degree. And uh, uh, the trade-off, of course, the entity gave them a bit of longevity, definitely gave them incredible physical strength uh, for their age. And uh, But the, the trade-off is it must spend more time in him as the entity itself, so, so it comes through more often. That's what they believe. And uh, I've seen these people, um, I've seen these things come through. The individuals, personally, I've seen, I've witnessed it. So I can't deny it, yeah. Yeah. Well, amongst First Nations, mm -hmm. especially the uh, older First Nations, they all know about shape-shifting. Mm -hmm. And uh, those who are going out to learn to become medicine men, medicine women, you know, and, uh, of course, shaman, shaman, they all understand shape-shifting all too well. Mm -hmm. But when you compare what goes on amongst the First Nations and that what goes on in the uh, Freemasonic world, because, I, I, you know, when they say free, they're really not free when they enter these lodges any longer, are they? No, they're not. In fact, Albert Pike in his Morals and Dogma book, and that, that was the Bible for Freemasonry, he states right in there, he said that um, uh, every Mason now has a duty. When you have a duty to something, you're not free. It means you, you, mm -hmm. you're basically like a soldier. And, and he also said, he said, make no mistake, he says, Freemasonic uh, free doctrine is a religion. It is a religion. For those Masons to say, no, it's not a, it is a religion, you know. And the Pope of Masonry said so in his own book. So it is a definite religion. And uh, in the higher degrees, uh, what happens is the candidate is brought on to a sort of platform <clears throat> in the presence of the higher ones, the higher adepts. And um, uh, a light will, will literally encompass this square floor, this raised floor, and they'll be, they'll be totally enclosed in this brilliant uh, blinding light, makes a pyramid shape, and all you can see apparently are the two sets of, of eyes of the two guys who escort the candidate, the higher candidate, and they, you see two pairs of red eyes, and then as they all chant a little chants and so on, because they do have their own hymns, uh, then the, the candidate's eyes start to glow red as well. And that's all we see is the three pairs of eyes. And that's part of what they claim is bringing in a higher entity 
to bring them closer to Godhood. You know? And I've had that same thing uh, described to me from different high masons who are unconnected with each other in different parts of the country. When when you when you go here, there's a, there's a very large uh, uh, lodge in Vancouver, and on their uh, second or third floor, I think it's the third floor, they have uh, rooms there, like like strange looking rooms, some of them. Mm-hmm. And in the one room, they have this gigantic coffin, and. Uh, <laughs> You're going to laugh because I'm very nosy. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. And um, there was a time that that place rented out the downstairs hall. Mm-hmm. And uh, people would go and uh, help uh, hold things like where people would come and read poetry or people would come and uh, all kinds of stuff like like innocent, very innocent stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, I was there too, but I wanted to see what the rest of the building looked like. Yeah. So I made the journey in the elevator. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And um, you were elevated. Uh-huh. I definitely was elevated. Yeah. <laughs> because I got out of the elevator and I opened doors and I looked inside and I said, "Oh, wow! Look at this." And there was uh, one coffin, and it looks like um, uh, a wax body in there. Uh-huh. And then there was another coffin, a really big one, and that was empty. Mm-hmm. And I said, no, I said, you know, you can hear in ancient times that people did ceremonies, you know, here you're born and there you're dead or whatever, or you're dead or you're reborn or whatever. Uh-huh. But at the same time, and I said, oh, wow. And as I looked in the room, which knows me, shouldn't maybe have gone in there, but I did. And uh, there was in the right-hand corner, there was a statue, part man, part animal, And that statue, of course, it had red eyes. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I said, oh, I wonder whether they plugged that thing in at night. Yes. Uh And I said, oh, you see, you know, better better get going because I did hear footsteps on the other floor. I said, better get out of here while I'm getting it. It's good. That's right. Oh, yeah. Um, When I was small, a a friend's sister was getting married. And uh, the father was a member of the lodge, uh-huh. and, and of course the lodge loves to have weddings in, in their other other main banqueting halls. Yeah. And and well, the father was drunk. He first put his son up to the big keyhole at eye level, uh, an adult level. He lifted, he lifted him up and looked at him through the hall. Then I got a turn, and I thought, of course, I saw this uh, step pyramid, and then this pipe coming down from the ceiling with a big eye on it, and that's where the Grand Master sits in the east, of course, representing the sun. And and I, I said, well, what's under those sort of rugs that were over this, this little step pyramid? And they said it was bones, you see. But, um, yeah, there's all these strange rituals, but at the same time, the rituals are written in every major religion. Every major religion has the same esoteric meanings uh, contained within. That's why masonry is worldwide. 
Mm-hmm. And, and of course, when they are raised from the dead, this is the key to it. That is the coffin, of course. That's right. In other words, they're raised from the dead, representing the general population. That's what it means. You've never lived till you now come into the family, uh, the global family, you see, of brotherhood. Then you have been classed as the dead, so you go through this raising of, of, of the dead. Uh, you'll see that the actual initiation carried out in, in the, the opera. Uh, I think even Canada, you can get a copy through from the in the library of, of uh, Stratford, the Stratford Company, uh, the opera Gilbert and Sullivan. And I saw that when I was small, and I knew what it meant then. And um, uh, Gilbert and Sullivan in the 1800s did the Pirates of Penzance. And in the opening scenes, you see that the young apprentice with his, his uh, pant leg uh, rolled up, his, his chest exposed, and all the rest of it. And he goes through all the motions, and through the, the comedy... He's actually giving uh, the passwords, etc., back to the captain. Then they put him on a black pirate's flag with a skull and bones representing the coffin, and then they tossed him up into the air three times. That was him becoming third degree. So they do this right in front of her faces, even even in comedies, you know. Yeah. yeah, but if they do it like when they do it like this, the masses that are out there, uh-huh. they, they don't know and they don't click in, right? They, they, and this is what, uh, but the what the others. So when you look at that, then you know that the thing was really written for them. Yes. Oh yeah. And even have the language. Uh, and I mean, masons call themselves with those sons. And that's why you have in the Old Testament. See, the rules are all in the Old Testament for part of the world. And other, every other religion has it written in the same. But the ghost of the craft of the widow and the widow's child. And, and so uh, the Masons call themselves the, the widow's children. In part of Penzance, uh, they call themselves orphans. That's the big chuckle joke all through the thing is they call themselves orphans. So it's the same. It, it, everything's tongue-in-cheek, but it's right out in, in your face, really, yeah. And behind every religion, there's a, there's a, within every religion, there is the same esoteric tradition to them all. Uh-huh. It's amazing when you when you uh, are, are saying this and you look at what is out there and how many people do really investigate uh, that they look before they leap and 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 they and they don't because if you uh, start to investigate the Mormon Church you get chills. Yes, uh-huh. let's see that the leg tie or the leg of the Mormons, the male members. If they're chosen into the elect, they go through the same rituals during that uh, uh, ceremony as all Masons do with the same passwords, and they put on a little apron. And funnily enough, in the Pirates of Penzance, they called the ship uh, HMS Pinafore. Pinafore is the apron, you see. So it's everything is all. I knew this stuff growing up. I watched it and could see what it meant, you know. Um, and I've always been surprised when other people had to have it pointed out to them. Because uh, most people don't really, I don't really, they take, they take everything at face value and they don't question, you know. Yeah, but that is how most people have been programmed, have they not? Don't ask questions, don't, you know, just be a follower, right? That's, that's how they are trained from small. Oh, yep. you you have to follow because the priest or the preacher or 
whatever, just follow me. And they never give these people any power. And that is the same with the New Age community. You have all these people out there. They have the power. And these little people, that, that, you know, and they are little because they don't question. Yep. They sit there and, um, well, you know, uh, they, uh, they are good sheep because they sit there. Somebody says, now we meditate, and they shut their eyes, and they sit there, huh? and they oom away, you know, but yep. never, mm-hmm. never asking, yep. what are you doing to me? And I told the people, I said, you know, when they do that, they are brainwashing you. They are putting you in a hypnotic state. Yes. So that you become the perfect follower. Yes. You're not. Not only that, they're actually using uh, physical sciences along with it because I think you probably know of, of Dr. Nick Digich, who, who brought out the book um, Angels Don't Play This Harp. On, on the, the harp technology. Mm-hmm. Well, he was on the CBC television in Canada on, on the Wendy Mesley show, and I taped it because I knew it would never be on again. And uh, he had all this, these gizmos on the table, uh, and he, he told Wendy Mesler to stand in a corner. He pointed it at her, and she heard music in the center of her head. And it's actually just as, as easily I put words in the center of your head. And he said, this stuff is obsolete. The CIA were using this back in the 1950s. Little handheld, remote-sized things. When you, when you... Further, these, these transcendental meditations classes, uh, really the CIA were behind it for America. Yeah. And, and MI6 were, were behind it for Britain and Canada and, and Australia. They were putting these gizmos in the walls of these meditation rooms. And when they were told to have their little religious experience, sure enough, they were guaranteed to have it because they were using this technology on them. And they would hear a voice in the middle of their head, God or whoever, you know. <laughs> God or whoever. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Probably the IBM company. Yeah. That, that's, uh, that's what uh, was getting used on them. And yeah. All these forms of mind control, uh-huh. the history of it, we find the same... Uh, special agencies, CIA, are behind it. Jonestown, we know that Ronald Reagan, uh, um, he was the first man when he was governor of California to authorize uh, that the Jones and his group went to the mental hospitals to do mental healing on the patients. So the CIA have been into this mind control uh, for, for many, many decades. Yeah. Yeah, I, al- I always thought that it was mind control that created the disaster there. Oh, there's no doubt on that. There's so much evidence to that. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, so, so, yeah, this is incredible stuff. Uh, it's like Plato said, and Plato did lay on the line, since he was a member of the so-called mystery religions of his day. Mm-hmm. And he said, he says, all culture is given and authorized from the top down. He said, if anything started at the bottom uh, and it wasn't planned, it could have unforeseen consequences and rippling effects. So all all these things are authorized from the top down. And we see that with Blavatsky, with the doors opening to her, with with the, the, the Templars in England authorizing her, to exist and, and do what she was doing, and then the Grand Lodge of England doing the same for her, 
And then, of course, the Grand Lodge giving her a char Masonic charter. The, the, these were the big boys. These were the Secret Service guys behind this. Mm-hmm. And it was all mind control, sure. Yeah, and of course, she, she planted the seed because her father was very high in the masonry, Kutumi. And uh, was Kutumi and uh, was uh, Saint Germain and, uh, of course, uh, the J guy and... Uh, Oh, a whole bunch that she channeled, and uh, when you when you go out of the door, you don't have to go very very far from the door, and there you have a whole bunch of these confused New Age people followers, uh-huh. and uh, they all channel. And I asked someone, I said, "Didn't you feel like you were a fraud? Yeah. You were doing that." And this person looked at me and blushed and became uncomfortable. Yeah, until I came here, you know, I was made to believe that is how it is. But now I know better. I will never do that again. I said, but at the same time, how many of these people have been programmed into this type of horrendous lie and make-believe? Yes. And getting back to what you mentioned last night, was was to do with the, the real meaning of Moses. Uh, Moses represents the illumined man. It's not a person as such, an, an actual historical person. And the illumined man is the only one allowed to go up the mountain. You see that the, the masses who were slaves, meaning slave mentality, that yeah. these people had to stay at the bottom because there was lightning that, that stopped them from coming up. And while he's up there getting the law... Uh, and, and remember, it's a gradient, it's a degreed gradient. He's going up, that's, that's the symbology. And at the bottom, they make themselves a calf. The symbology of that is that those who are based want something physical to worship. Yeah, but, the, but is, Alan, isn't that this, when we look at this, this comes all out of this horrific situation out of Mithra? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And And how many of these people wherever they are listening tonight, have ever come to the realization. And and when late last night, I don't know whether you saw that, but late last night they uh, showed Pakistan and uh, the things that happened to women there. And I said, well, I said, these are the followers of Mithra. Women, women had no value. Women were raped, were tortured. Women were done, whatever, and were murdered. Mm-hmm. Uh, in some parts of India, women are, are tortured, abused, and are burned. Uh, they douse them with gasoline and get rid of them. And we know that this is happening. And uh, I, I had some beautiful uh, people from a Muslim community, and uh, they came and uh, they said, well, this is how it really is. I said, well, isn't it time that you come out of your diapers into your maturity and that you are going to help these women and these young girls that are out there who have no hope to change this all around and to bring humanity in equality. I said, and after all, I said, the Catholic Church, I said, with its big Mary statue that it has there, Simiramis, 
and uh, that uh, they have uh, uh, said, well, she's the goddess of the earth, the Catholic Church, of course, and at the same time, they were the biggest abusers of women, and when you look at the dress of the Muslim women, and most likely you can remember when you were small, the women of the Catholic Church were dressed like Muslim women. The nuns. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I know. It's um. It, it's uh, you better understand that there's uh, a lot, an awful lot of uh, uh, perversion behind all of this. Uh, I always say that the first city was a perversion of nature. It's an artificial system within a city. It's not natural, so it can only create more, more unnaturalness. It cannot never spawn any kind of normality. And, and and it's the same with the religions that come out of these uh, ancient cities. Um, we had definitely a, a priesthood that were more into men or little boys from the very beginning than into women. And women certainly had just one job, and that was to, to, to breed the, the male offsprings of those particular people. Mm -hmm. uh, but really these guys preferred the little boys always, you know. And that still goes right up to the present day where we see so many scandals always breaking out all over the place with orphanages of people now in their 20s who were abused in these orphanages by, by priests. Uh, this is traditional with them. And we find there is a tradition in the high esoteric male groups of this particular right where they do uh, abuse boys, you know. When you so, say that, I, we know also that that goes on in Tibet. Mm-hmm, mm -hmm. I know, and, and Mustang up in, up in now where the, the Dalai Lama has uh, most of his followers, uh, they recruit the little boys from the villagers up in the, in the mountain areas. And they're only maybe six, seven years, no, six years old yeah. when they're recruited. The, the parents are so illiterate and so trained uh, when, they, when, they, when they're asked for their child, they just give them to them. And those little boys go through the same kind of thing. But we find that, too, um, with some of the so-called gurus uh, that are popularized by the New Age in India. Yeah. Uh, with that, uh, was it Sahai Baba, Baba they call him? Uh, part of his initiation. Sai Baba. Yeah. I mean, being a god, part of the initiation, I don't know if people realize this, is, is that when you have intercourse with the God, that's your last right there, you know. That happens. And so that, that, that happened too when we're pushing up the, the, the Maharishi uh, with the Beatles. That was their job, was to bring in, again, like Blavatsky said, to merge Christianity with, with that of India, the religions of India. And so they, in the 60s, they hyped up the Beatles to be stars. They made them stars. They put them to India. And uh, the Maharishi suddenly became so popular that uh, they actually caught him uh, doing the dirty with a little boy. And that's why they fell out with him. And that's when the song was written, um, Sexy Sadie. It's a play on Sadie, you know, the master. That's why that was written. What have you done? You made a fool of everyone. It's because they caught him doing the dirty with a little boy. Yeah. You know, but when you look at, at today's world, 
and we look at, you know, because, and people do not understand it when you try to explain to them. You need to shake off Mitra on this planet. If you shake it off, the murders, the wars, everything else will disappear. So long as you can befile innocent children, so long as you have these hypnotized masses, and isn't that what they're doing, Alan? They are hypnotizing the masses 24 hours a day with garbage on the store shelf that they must have, have to have, with music that they must have, have, have to have, um, you know, with their with their thwarted forms of religions mm-hmm. and their continual lies, like somebody said today, oh, they made a famous movie now that just came out, and it comes from Japan, and it says that the world is only three billion years old. I said, it is a lie. Don't believe it. Yeah. Because start to look at your true historical facts, start to analyze, start to understand, and then when you go back, and you know, sometimes you say people, okay, Buddhism is only 400 years old. No, it is not. I said, yes, it is. The Roman Catholic Church, you know, these first Bibles didn't exist. They didn't appear when the time that it was written and how many times had to had they to rewrite that Bible so that it became usable and to suppress the people. But the intelligent people that read it, they say, hey, wait a minute, because the Psalms in the Bible is all Masonic. Oh, I know. I know every one of them, yeah. Yeah, I know. And, and of course, we, we know that uh, Shakespeare had a part in writing it with the teams for King James. Um, and he put his name into the 46th Psalm, you know. His name is in there. Is it? Yeah, if you read the 46th, it was on his 46th birthday, you see. <laughs> and, and, and he wrote the Psalm. And, and if you read 46 words down, you'll find the, the word shake. And if you go from the bottom, uh, the end of the psalm, and go up the way, you'll, you'll find the spear. And, and that's a typical Masonic joke on the public. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's amazing because we have some people in the audience in the United States who used to be very heavy duty into the uh, Baptist uh, uh, movement. And uh, when, when somebody said, oh, you know... The Baptists are real followers of John the Baptist. I said, no, they're not. Mm-hmm. Oh, sure they are, because they came into being with uh, John the Baptist. I said, no, they didn't. I said, this is all make-believe. How can you say that? I said, but it is. Mm-hmm. You're being tricked. Yes. And people get annoyed with me when I tell them you are being tricked. It's all zodiacal mythology, because you'll find the prior to to that uh, version of it, it's the same version, just with different names, and um, you'll find that that, uh, uh, in there you'll find, um, uh, just look at, and I actually put one of of the woodcuts from the 1500s of the zodiac, uh, the, the, the Druer, 
God did. Mm-hmm. And every every myth in the world, every religion in the world, every story in the world is in that woodcut. And you'll see the head uh, that at one time was John the Baptist, but it's been the head of many before that. Mm-hmm. And you also find the word Tepheus in there, the king, that the one that condemns um, uh, Jesus, uh, he's in there too. That that existed long before the story, uh, the, the, the biblical story. Well, when when you go and and when you tell people, uh-huh. and this was the thing when we were sitting with a, a, a group of people that were the same people that came from uh, Persia, and uh, one of the uh, Persian women, whose professor said to me, she said, "But how are we going to tell people that uh, this uh, ancient ancient belief?" This more than 10,000 years old, has been stolen, has been adulterated, has been changed and shifted because when you really start to look, the uh, Zarathustra, Zoroaster, Zoroaster story is all the Jesus story. I said, well, that's why they had to murder the people and burn down the library of Alexandria. That's why they had to murder Hypatia because she spoke against it. Yeah, the first thing they did was to send armies out to exterminate everyone who had a different version or, or, or an earlier version uh, because they had to start from scratch and make everyone believe that this was the, this was the original starting right now. And, and so they've done this down through history, of course, with eradicate uh, thinkers especially, those who, who think and who know. And... Uh, it's no different from today. They will eventually exterminate. They want. They want to exterminate those who are still able to think for themselves. Yeah. There's no doubt about that. You know. So uh, we're getting to a very critical phase. They've never changed the routine. Uh, these characters cannot change, in fact, because they are predators. They, they can't change their techniques. You can always count on them to to repeat the same techniques over and over. How can we make the people see that, Alan? How can we make the people understand that so that it becomes visible to them that they say, oh, this is what they are really doing? I think that's where we need to go so that the people, their eggshells fall off their eyes. Yes. Yeah. And again, it's this incredible training they've had where they believe they're being looked after like children. And the new age, where they're trained, don't talk to anybody that's negative and says nasty <laughs> things or uncomfortable things. Um, those people, unfortunately, he's a comparison. He's a good comparison to what will happen. And, I, and I, I'm not saying this to terrify them, but I'm just giving a good comparison. Uh-huh. Um, there was a, 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 a video put out by an Anthony Hilder uh, on on the sort of new age type thing that's happening today. But in the video, they showed you a clip from from Germany in World War Two, and there were maybe about twenty odd people, thirty people uh, in a group, in the right hand of the screen, and uh, there was uh, maybe four guys with with rifles standing around German mm-hmm. soldiers. And you saw one little petty officer 
who would, was yelling at them, you know, Schnell, Schnell, run, they pick you, you, and you. Uh, run, and they would run. Uh, they'd run across this, this wasteland into a ditch, jumped into a ditch. That ditch was exactly what they were told. And then the, the guys behind them uh, simply raised their rifles and shot them. Then the officer says, you, 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 and you, you know, Schnell, Schnell, run, and they'd run again. Now, here you are going to get shot. And they still ran when they were told to run. And they jumped into that ditch, one one row after another, and got shot. And the reason that happened to them... But that is hypnosis. Was, it was because they could not believe it was actually happening. Germany was the most advanced, supposedly, society in Europe at the time in, in, in the sciences. They, they were so enlightened, they were broken free and so on, they were enlightened through science and, and sophisticated, etc. And those people could not believe, right to the end, even though they saw the group in front going and getting shot, they couldn't believe that it was actually happening to them. Each one said, this is not happening to me, it can't happen, therefore it's not happening, and that's how they died. And that's what happens to people who cannot face reality before the events happen. They go into a shock, and they cannot possibly believe this could really, really be happening to them. Would you that, think... That, that can happen again. Uh-huh. Would you think that is part of the education system that programs people? Uh, like, um, and of course, it's a horrific thing to to think of because uh, I have a, I have a friend who uh, is a journalist in uh, in Iraq in the eighties, uh, you know, nineties, the first row of of this war, and he was there and he actually saw. And, and, he, and he asked me, he said, how can men and women lose their integrity to a point that they would become participate, uh, participants and participate on something so horrific as he was, was, he was there as a reporter. He, 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 he couldn't go anywhere because he knew he was going to go get shot and he said, he had nightmares after for years of what he saw, and he saw this very specialized army in the United States dig humongous holes in a desert, and uh, then these big trucks pulled up, and all these people were ordered off this truck. And uh, the soldiers, and he says there were at least. 12, 14 soldiers there, so it wasn't one or two. It was a whole bunch of them there, and all these people uh, were lined up, and they came with a bulldozer, and they pushed these people all alive in those huge holes. And uh, they, they, I think what he said, he thought, but he said he couldn't totally remember that they shot two or three rounds into that large pit. He said, but there was at least a huge amount of people, he said, like, like, he said, you could fill a ballroom with it, so that must have been a lot of people, must have been over 200 people. Mm-hmm. 
And he said, uh, and the soldiers, he said, they uh, went all into the half circle of this pit, and then a command was given, and these bulldozers went into gear, and these people were all bulldozed, men, women, little children, all bulldozed in that pit alive. And they all participated. Yes. Wouldn't you think that these men had mothers, sisters, children at home, or little brothers, or fathers? Or uh, I think what's happened is, is exactly what the, the big boys said would happen with the specialized indoctrination in school and the separation of the families. Families are not really families anymore. And parental influence really is never even, it's hard to even get it across since they never see each other, the, the children and the parents. But um, uh, they, they've been given their value system, if you want to call it a value system, by the state and the media, especially the media, much music, uh, video games for kill, 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 and all this kind of stuff. That was given them their image. I knew... Uh, when the first uh, Arnold, uh, uh, the first Stallone movie came out, the Rambo movie, uh-huh. that that was the beginning of, of, of that we're going to train a generation to to be like that, to who would just be a killing machine. And sure enough, that's when they brought the video games out on its heels. These video games were used by military to try to desensitize the troops uh, into killing whenever they saw an enemy. So they'd kill instinctively without thinking. And then they gave them to the children. And a whole generation now who are now wearing uniforms uh, were raised playing video games where the only object was as many as possible by military-type uh, games. Um, so I knew then that, that this present war would happen back then when Rambo came out and his move towards the started. And, 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 of course, we're seeing it today because the CBC showed a documentary that was made by a, Scots, a Scotsman who went over to Afghanistan and it was to follow the trail of what happened to a lot of these uh, tribal peasants, young men, mm-hmm. who, who were rounded up by the American Special Forces. And they found one and a half thousand of them had been put into, first of all, a sort of uh, prison camp where they, they were gunned down a lot of them, and then the special forces and some of the, some other friendly uh, uh, to the Americans that is friendly uh, general uh, of the tribesmen drove them in tractor trailers out into the desert uh, three days and three nights in, in the hot sun, no ventilation, no water, and for a joke on the way, they said when they, when they had them screaming inside. Uh, the American Special Forces uh, opened fire and, and ventilated uh, the trucks, the, the, the carriages, with bullets. And then when they got to the desert area, these men who were all still tied with their hands behind their back were, were forced out, the ones that were still alive, and they were all shot on the spot and left there to rot. And that was all photographed by the Scottish reporter. So you see, this killing machine is not a specific ethnic group. It's every young man in uniform, unfortunately, in every damn country. And, and it's an old story. Young men are very stupid. They are very, very stupid. They have, they have no idea who they really are. They're, 
go and kill for us, and the whole of society will suddenly respect you. And, and that's what that's what happens to them. They're, they're very stupid, and uh, and because of that, they're lethal. Yeah, not the only that. Were told, yeah. Yeah, and today. Were kill who were told to kill. Yeah. Yeah, today, uh, uh, someone uh, from the CBC said, "Oh, yeah." in Afghanistan and uh, in order to bring uh, Afghanistan into democracy you know the uh, Canadian armed forces have to stay there to help and they said no this is not what this is about you're lying because for the simple reason these people lived for hundreds of years there thousands of years so get lost but at the same time uh, they're not doing anything about uh, the torture and the, and the rape and whatever else that happens to women there. They don't do anything. But when you look at it, there is a much greater agenda to this. Because yep. the, when, you, when you see this, and they are now taking the troops out of Canada, they can replace our troops very soon with foreign trained troops, Russians or, or, or heaven help us, I should not say it, but, but I can't help. I have memories of World War Two, you know, and uh, uh, that we are going to see the slaughter that uh, can, uh, can happen here, what, what happened in Europe, so that we can have foreign troops, whether they are uh, South Koreans or whether they are Japanese, or whatever, people who do not speak the language and do not understand, people here who do not speak their language and do not understand, four or five years ago, I told many people in Canada, you must learn to speak Russian, you must learn to speak Chinese. And they looked at me and they said, what for? I said, because it will most likely save your life if you're not listening to me that you're going to get out of the way. And uh, today, when you look at it, and this was also from someone, and this was some years ago, who then still was in the U.S. military, and it was in a helicopter, and uh, this was uh, uh, the senior B that was uh, uh, in the helicopter, and the senior B said to this young man, this young soldier, uh, opened the door, and so this kid did slide open to the door. Yes, sir. And he says, and now jump out. I give you the order. And the kid jumped out. Yeah. And I said, when it is that our children have been programmed in such a manner that they are only capable in such a state of trance, uh, follow, follow monstrous, stupid orders, then we are, as we are sitting here, Alan, today in Canada, in the United States, in the greatest danger we ever were in. I know. Because all you need to do is compare this with World War Two in the Netherlands where they were so programmed and I remember saying to them, You must leave, you must go because there's danger and and they said to my father, She she doesn't know what she's speaking about, we're good people. 
and uh, nothing will happen to us. And, of course, they were all rounded up, never to be seen again, because they were programmed to believe yeah. that nobody was going to do anything to anyone. Mm -hmm. 